You're listening to 2, 5, and 10, your source for bullshit-free NHL news, analysis, and insights. Now, here are your hosts, Kevin Naughton and Ben Stewart. Excuse me. I've got an announcement to make. Yeah. If you ain't never been to Hempstead, then welcome. Where chickens cluck, cluck, day and night. GMP. I see some chickens going crazy all up in my cage. I'm about to blow two feet, some up on my plate. Cluck, cluck, body's knocking all up in my crib. Anybody wanna know the party's too sick? Somebody's knocking, knocking, knocking at my door. The same chick that you slept with. She played my man is coming home from a bed. She said after tonight she gotta be with the kids, the kids, the kids, the kids, the kids. What up, everybody, and welcome to episode 66 of 2, 5, and 10, the Mario Lemieux, Le Magnifique. Uh, Betty, what up, baby? I'm doing good. I'm good. Got our first, well, my first actual snowfall since moving back from California, so I think I am officially indoctrinated back to the East Coast. I was going to say, you hit your quota, and now you're trying to go back already? Had enough? <sighs> L.A. looks good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, San Diego, all right, too? Uh, San Diego would be all right. All right. I'm, I'm, at least I'm not going to be uh, left, kicked off the bus like uh, Gerard Gallant was in Florida, right? Yeah, I mean, or I mean, you could be kicked off the bus like he was this time in Vegas. So, I mean, we could go, <laughs> we could go right there right after uh, we finished recording last week. It was, what did we record, Tuesday? I think we recorded Tuesday. Tuesday night, the, yeah. yeah, and yeah. then this came through the pipeline Wednesday, I actually thought you were joking when you text me and it said, uh, Gallant fired, DeBoer hired. I was like, yeah, right, dude. You're like, no, it's, <laughs> it's there. And I look it up. I was like, holy shit. Um, I did not see this coming at all. What are your thoughts on all this? Yeah. Uh, I think the double whammy of the surprise of Gallant being fired at all. And then also being replaced by a guy who was, who was let go by one of their one of their division rivals not even a month ago, uh, uh, because that team was struggling and not playing up to expectations. Even worse than Vegas was this year was, and I, if you told me a hundred different coaching possibilities were going were going to happen this year, different combinations, this one wouldn't have even made the list. Uh, so completely surprised. I know Vegas has been a little underachieving this year. This guy won at Jack Adams not even two years ago, brought an expansion team to the Stanley Cup final. They're in the playoffs right now. They're not playing that terribly, and he loses his job. So I don't know if it has... I mean, I've read on the Athletic that it has everything to do with on-ice performance, which if that's the bar to clear in Vegas, man, Jesus Christ. I mean, as Vegas fans for a team that has given everything to this community in the sense of something to rally around the Stanley cup finals. I mean, a great team, a great product on the ice. This is like the first time where this franchise's fans are like, Whoa, like, like now they feel cheated and yeah, don't get me wrong. I think Peter DeBoer is a great coach. Like there's no question. You're not going to hear me badmouth Peter DeBoer, but I don't know how Gerard Gallant loses his job. Like, this is the year of the coaching merry-go-round. Like, if we told you this year that Babcock, LaViolette, 
Gallant, DeBoer, like all these guys were going to be fired at one point, it would be like, yeah, all right, dude. Like, th- thanks for listening to the podcast. You, you know, like, hey, <laughs> like, I appreciate it. But, dude, holy crap, it has been a coaching merry-go-round. I understand Vegas has underperformed a little bit here. But at the same time, you look at that Pacific Division, if you told me when we started the year that currently, as of today, that the Vancouver Canucks would be in first place in the Pacific, I'd laugh you right in the face. It has been complete, utter chaos out there. Currently, Vancouver, Edmonton, Calgary, Vegas, Arizona, and then we have San Jose and Anaheim in L.A. on the back end, but like... There is some things, maybe it's only the plus, the plus three goal differential that maybe they're not liking. Maybe they thought guys were too laxed. I know that everyone preaches as to how good of a player's coach Gerard Gallant is. Maybe Kelly McCrimmon didn't like that. Maybe he wanted guys who were more on their ass. I But I don't see Peter DeBoer being that guy, though, either to come in and kind of ruffle some feathers. Like He might come in and put a little bit more of a different system in. But I don't see him coming in and, you know, having fuck you matches with guys. So I I just don't know by the coaching change as to which guy is bettering your club, because I almost put the two of them in the same category. Yeah, and the interesting thing for me is this has now happened twice to Gallant, who is beloved by the majority of the players that he coaches. Uh, He's overachieved with both franchises that he's been a part of as a head coach. And both times he's been fired and let go kind of surprisingly to varying degrees. I don't know if it's a conflict with upper management, if there's just two separate ways or paths that they want to go down and it's just happened to be with the same head coach. But that's starting to become... Something where if I'm a franchise, yeah, Gallant, one of the top coaching candidates available right now, but I would want to drill down into why this has happened twice now and to two successful franchises, at least overachieving to where people thought that they would be. Um, And the fact that DeBoer goes in there, a guy hasn't even had a month off. Like I agree with you, he's a good coach. But don't you think it's a little bit of an awkward fit to go from the players on Vegas going against a guy and like DeBoer and his team, especially in the playoffs. He just lost his job a month ago, and now he's going to be trying to coach you guys up and fitting in a room and getting comfortable. And even that clip that uh, you sent me where he did the smelling salts on a bench, that just reeked of awkwardness to me, the way he was like interacting. I know it's his first day or two with the organization. I just don't know if this is a natural fit in the sense of going to a division rival less than a month after getting fired. Do you think the division rival part is more on him just wanting to be back in the NHL and coaching or more of a fuck you to San Jose? Because like I said, I didn't think the San Jose debacle this year was on him. So do you think that's kind of a, Hey, they offered me a job. I took it like not my problem, not my job, not my problem in a sense to San Jose or. I think it has more, more to do with, because he's been fired before from New Jersey, so I, I think he understands it's part of the business. But we, this is one of the best coaching opportunities that was going to become available, and surprisingly so. So if you're a guy not, not looking to stay in the sidelines too long, 
I don't know if there's going to be another coaching opportunity that is as attractive as Vegas is with the infrastructure they have in place, the kind of core that they have there, and the success they've had in terms of the community and uh, fan growth than Vegas. So, like, you kind of look at the other teams that are at the bottom of the standings this year that might fire their coach at some point this season or in the offseason. None of them are more attractive than uh, Vegas, unless Tampa Bay decides to let John Cooper go or, or Boston decides to let go of Bruce Cassidy. You know what I mean? So, And this year, I wouldn't I doubt think, either of those. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, just I think this is an opportunity you don't really pass up. Um, I know Winnipeg and Paul Maurice have a contract situation, but I think it's more of that than just trying to shove it up San Jose's ass. Although, if he does beat them every time he plays, I'm sure he's going to enjoy that. Enjoy that. Uh, one other thing I at least have is, I, I know when Gerard Gallant was in Florida, a big thing, at least with him and management, was the lineup sense of it, where he wanted to be tougher. Uh, I remember they had a situation down there someone wasn't dressed and he said he was going to address it next game. And then shortly thereafter, they traded away Eric Goodbranson to Vancouver. So it like completely took away his toughness. So maybe he just rubs heads with the GMs a little bit the wrong way. Maybe he wants the, the bill parcels. He wants to be able to buy the groceries as well. (laughs) But in the NHL, you don't really see that. It's not like the NFL where you have guys doing, dual jobs it's like yeah like Belichick yeah you know like you coach the team I give you the product that goes on the ice type deal so I mean on that end maybe that's the issue but if it's the issue just to square it away I mean he won't last long anywhere doing that in the whole National Hockey League so now I'm curious like I I personally don't have an insider in Vegas to reach out to, but it makes me want to just to be, because Gallant's thing, I was surprised. That was his quote. I was extremely surprised. And so was the rest of the hockey world. So, yeah. Yeah. I have two questions for you. The first one is, do you think Nashville, after letting Laviolette go and kind of going with John Hines, I know he has a connection with, uh, uh, the front office there. Do you think they're kind of like, shit, we should have waited another week? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, (laughs) uh, like you said, John Hines down there was kind of the good old boys club in that sense. So maybe they just thought he would be a good fit to slide right in. I personally hate actually giving interim coaches like I would love more than have an interim coach finish a season. You see where the season ends up. And then go in and hire your guy because, you know, over the summer guys have been available. It just seems, though, this year that people are getting fired and hired left and right. And where usually you could wait until the offseason, you can't. You kind of have to go with what's the best thing that's currently available. Granted, yes, I I do think that DeBoer is a much better coach than John Hines. But now if you waited a week and DeBoer didn't get hired, now you'd have Hines – DeBoer and Gallant out on the market. Like, who would you go with? Yep. I would go with Gallant, but I'm going to play a little bit of musical chairs with you right now before we move on. Where do you think, and and this could be with currently open positions or positions that you think are going to open, Gallant 
and Laviolette go to? I don't know if Bill Babcock is, is coaching next year, at least in the National Hockey League. He might be a guy that needs, needs a year away just to kind of let the emotions settle down from his reputation a little bit. Where do you think Gallant and Laviolette potentially end up on opening night 2020? Uh, I still personally think Laviolette's going to Seattle. That's just my mm-hmm. hunch. I've thought that the whole way, so I think he won't be there next year. But at the same time, I feel like as a coach, you have to be competitive and you want to be in the National Hockey League. So maybe he wouldn't take the full year in that sense. I know that's weird to say. Uh, I believe with the talent that is still on the roster, Gerard Gallant ends up in Chicago. I think with the guys that are currently there and in place, I mean, if you told me who would you want, Gallant or uh, whatever his name is there now, I know where I'm going. Yeah, like, don't get me wrong, I I like Jeremy Colleton, but Gerard Gallant is a much better (laughs) coach than he is. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to stick with my prediction where New Jersey vastly underachieved. I know we've discussed some of the holes they have in their roster, but they should be better than what they are this year, even if it's just by a little bit. I'm going to have, I'm going to peg Laviolette to go there just because he has a history of turning franchises around like that. And if you're Gallant and you have a reputation of overachieving with teams like a under-resourced kind of slash rebuilding team in Florida, and then you take an expansion franchise all the way to Stanley Cup. If I'm Seattle, I'll give him a blank check. Like, you're going to bring in a guy, that's a way to get the fan base going, where like, oh shit, we're bringing in a guy who just, just coached an expansion team to the Stanley Cup, and he's coming here for us. So I have Seattle with Galan. If he wants to wait that extra year, uh, if he I mean, if he doesn't want to wait that year, I got him going to Dallas. That's my current prediction. Oh, I forgot about Dallas. That could be a good fit there, too. But we'll see. We'll see. Uh, um, I just, unless John Cooper gets fired during the season this year, which isn't going to happen at this point, I don't think, I don't think you're going to have a more, shock, more shocking firing than what happened in Vegas. To be determined, my friend, it has been a very interesting year thus far. <laughs> Moving on, moving on, I know this is just a topic that we wanted to hit on or I wanted to hit on just because I've kind of railed against DPAPS, uh, uh, Department of Player Safety, for the entire existence of this podcast because of the inconsistencies and uh, the way they go, they go about making decisions for us for player suspensions and fines and all that. Uh, but you got the pro quote pulled up in terms of what he thinks about the lack of punishment that the Department of Player Safety issued after that elbow he received last or late last week. Yes, he received an elbow from the Canucks, Jake Vertanen, and there was nothing from the Department of Player Safety at all. I mean, yeah. it's definitely a complete vicious elbow. He easily could have just went at him with the shoulder, but he extends out. So uh, Perot's quote was, player safety my ass. Now I got to take matters into my own hands the next time this happens and I get to swing my stick across his forehead and I shouldn't get suspended then. End quote. Holy shit. I think the French guy has lost it. And <laughs> rightfully so. I mean, I, I look at that play and I, I think there has to be some sort of suspension. And 
the thing that upsets me at times with this league is your suspension varies as to who you ended up hurting, not as to if the play was different on one end or the other. For example, Makachuk versus Zach Cassian. I think that that first hit he had last week was dirty. I thought the second one was clean. But is there no suspension because it's Zach Cassian? Because if Matthew Kachuk did that to Connor McDavid, holy yep. shit, I mean, like, that that's what, 10 games? Easy. So I, I just feel like there has to be consistency with what the Department of Player Safety is putting out there. And the biggest thing is when it comes to these headshots is little things, such as an elbow like this Vertanen thing. He didn't have to put his elbow out. He could have dropped his shoulder and... When you stick an elbow out like that, it is for the intent of hitting somebody in the head, not to gracefully put your elbow in their stomach. It is like to get space. And granted, I know Perot's a little bit of a rat. He runs around out there. He's a little guy. But Yeah, he's French. He's French, wee oui, wee. Oui. But like it's one of those things here where you just have to like wonder what goes through George Paros's head. Because as a fan, I, I don't know at times. You're like, oh, he has to be hearing from player safety. No, nothing. Oh, oh, okay, good, good. Yeah, I mean, we touched on this before. It's now a systemic issue. If this is the third or fourth uh, head of department of player safety that everybody has the same complaints about. It was the same. It's the same complaints with Paros. It's the same complaint uh, when Shadi ran it. Like, no matter who's in charge, there's the same complaints of not enough punishment for this guy, too much punishment for that guy. Wait, how is this guy only getting fined when his hit was the same as the guy who got suspended and blah, 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 blah. So now it's just it's an upper echelon decision-making process that needs to be scrutinized and possibly redone here. And for a player to come out and say that to the media shows how much this has been bubbling up under the surface around the league for a while now. This doesn't just happen. Like, guys, especially in NHL, know they pretty much keep their mouth shut when it comes to criticizing a league like this. So for a guy like Perot to just come out and say it means this has been an extremely long build of frustration by guys around the league, and they've just had enough of it. So... I don't know if the player association needs to get involved and uh, kind of include this in the new CBA talks and put pressure on the league. But you're trying to protect players, protect players' heads, legislate uh, purposeful and even accidental head hits out of the game. But you allow this to go unpunished. You allow Ryan Ellis to elbow, elbow Pavel Buchnevich in the head. That goes unpunished. But, but a guy like Ryan Lincoln, gets a phone call hearing because he shoved the guy clearing a net and that guy got his toe stuck in the ice and then face plants into the post. So, so it's just the multitude of ir, like irresponsible and inconclusive decisions that the, the department makes is leading to a lot of frustration. And the fact that he said it out loud is kind of a big indicator of that. All right, so say the next game comes out and he does end up slashing him in the head. Well, what happens now? Now they're just going to say, oh, well, it was premeditated? Like, I just don't get 
hockey is a game that is meant to be policed by the guys. When something like this happens and there's no response from the one peer, like the one person that's supposed to be middle ground, the department of player safety, like that's the thing that I hope they understand. People will then take retribution into their own hands. And I'm very curious to see what that's the problem. Cause now I'm curious to see what happens in this next battle of Alberta, just because of that, like what is going to happen? I don't know. I I think Kachuk's a dead man. (laughs) Or Lucha is going to kill somebody. Like you can't even look at Lucha without him losing his fucking mind. That's very true. (laughs) The thing with pro is now that he said that, the NHL has is going to have an eye on him. Has that out on? I'm surprised he didn't find him for that comment if it hasn't happened already. But let's say he does take matters into his own hands. Now the NHL is going to have to make an example out of him for other players who might not agree with the punishment level or lack of punishment that's been dished out. Doesn't follow suit. So now you're going to have a situation where a guy jumped and landed a vicious elbow into the head of a defenseless forward. That goes unpunished, but the guy that was just victimized by the headshot is going to get a significant fine and possible suspension for protecting himself and taking matters into his own hands. Like it's such a bad visual, and this is all kickstarted by a lack of punishment uh, by DPS. Like it's just a free fall of things that happen now because of that one poor decision. Yeah, I I wish I could give you like more of a take or a disagreement but i'm on board 100 <laughs> percent um yeah i know that that's going to be a quick topic there just because we've both been on the same page in terms of of not really understanding what's been going on but um i guess we can get into our meaty topic of the week which is the all-star games coming up this weekend skills competition is friday night january 24th all-star game is saturday the 25th in st louis uh, most teams play, I think, 10 out of tomorrow, the last games, I believe. And then uh, the All-Star break, and for a team like the Rangers, they have uh, their bye week right after. So they have nine days off. Uh, so I figured we can go through our mid-season awards, for at least the major awards. Uh, the Jack Adams, the Calder, the Norris, the Vesna, and Art Ross give our picks um, and maybe even explain them if we feel like it. And most surprising team, least surprising team, uh, and go from there. So I don't know if you want me to go first uh, and uh, we can go go down a list or we want to do one by one. Whatever you want, Bubba, you tell me. All right, let's do one by one. All right. Uh, let's start with uh, the Calder, Rookie of the Year. Uh, who do you have for that? I have Kill McCarr. The kid yeah. has just been an absolute stud, 37 points. Uh, going along with 11 goals, 26 assists, uh, plus seven currently. Crazy to think the kid only has six penalty minutes throughout the year. That that's pretty good for a rookie, and then as a defenseman too. Uh, you go little, Lady Bing as well. <laughs> maybe a two for one. You never know. You go a little bit deeper too. He has 15 power play points. And Colorado's already a very good team. And if you could give them that as a rookie, you're looking good. Not to mention four game winning goals. The other thing I think is at least for him, on a team that is very good, he's playing 20 and a half minutes a night. Yep. He, he is logging a whole bunch of ice time. 
He is their catalyst for offense from the back end, whether it's five on five or on a power play. Uh, hats off to the kid. Uh, I, th- I think he's Stratty's long lost son. He, he, he's doing good. Yeah, I have Makar as well. Uh, besides the things you highlighted, it's just a near nightly appointment of viewing when it comes to Avalanche games because whether you're watching it live or you get the clips on Instagram or you watch highlights on NHL.com, you just see him make not even highlight plays because he makes one of those a night. Just the decision-making process and the ability ability for him to think the game faster than a lot of the guys around him at such a young age. Um, like I know he was a fourth overall, overall pick, but I think most people pegged him as a top offensive defenseman like uh, Eric, Eric Carlson type. I think he's already better defensively than Carlson was at his peak. So um, potential franchise all-around defense, defenseman there. I know he's on a small side, so he's always going to be um, at a disadvantage when it comes to uh, physical situations like that, but just a thinking man's defenseman and offensive defenseman, and I think unanimous rookie of the year. Yeah, I don't think you would hear moving. any complaints from me on that. Uh, moving on, let's sick Norris Trophy uh, from defenseman to defense, defenseman. I think this is another near unanimous decision, if not unanimous. Who do you have? You know I'm always huge on this guy anyways, even though you're not his biggest fan, but Johnny Carlson, holy shit, what a year. Uh, 60 points currently, 47 assists. That's insanity. Um, not to mention, too, Roman Yossi is second in assists behind him at 34, so he's a complete 13 assists better. That's crazy yep. to think. Um, not to mention, too, Roman Yossi, second in points behind him, 12 points less. Johnny Carlson's on track for about 99 points this year. If he could crack 100, that would be absolutely incredible. He's been doing it for Washington for years, logs the ice time. He's not just a power play specialist, gets it done for him in both ends. I mean, yeah, hats off. Johnny Carlson, what a season so far. Yeah, I mean, he he's on, has a chance to become the first defenseman to score 100 points in a season since... Ryan Leach, 1991-92 season, my boy. Um, um, yeah, my Carlson's just developed into a guy that I don't think many of us envisioned him turning into. I know uh, he gets he gets some bump up from playing with Washington and guys like Basham and Kuznetsov and Ovechkin, uh, especially on the power play. But if you're looking at the future of this team, I know I know Holtby's a free to free agent at the end of this year. Uh, they just resigned Backstrom. He's right there, neck and neck. I know he's like one A at best, but he's right there, neck and neck with most most important guy on that roster behind Ovechkin, and that's saying something for a guy who guy who when he first came into the league was oh he's going to be a nice uh, two way top four defenseman. Now he's a franchise guy, so uh, one of the best shots in the league. I think he's among the league leaders in block shots as well uh, among among defensemen, and could have an historic offensive, offensive year. So. He's not just an offensive type. He's, he's going to get the Norris Trophy because of point totals. He's earning it both sides of the rink. The rink. Agreed completely. Um, I think this is the one where we're going to differ here. Art Ross, MVP. I'll go first. Since I had you go first the first two times. I'm going to go, and this I know, I know what the reaction is going to be. 
But I'm going Artemi Panarin. Oh, sh- shocker. <laughs> I'm going Panarin. He, 68 points, 47 games. He's setting Rangers records for most multi-point games in a year already. Uh, he's, I think, the third most points by, by a Ranger in his first year of the franchise in the history of the franchise. Uh, he's one of the highest-scoring forwards in the league. I think he's fifth at this point right now. And he's doing so on a team that's not as talented as Colorado with McKinnon. He doesn't have a guy riding shotgun like Landry Seidel, like McDavid has. So for me, he's basically carrying this offense, especially with Zibanejad being out. He's turned Ryan Strom into a borderline first-line center. Um, and besides the early goal team that the Rangers had, he's dragged this team, kicking and screaming, to a respectful, respectable uh, point this uh, this far in a year in terms of point total uh, as a team. So with doing as much as he has, with as little as he has around him, that's why I'm going with Panarin. See, th- this was tough for me because what you're saying is exactly what I think. An MVP needs to be the most valuable player to his team. And that's where I feel like some people automatically will say, Connor McDavid, yeah, he has the most points in the league. I get that. And if we had this conversation at the beginning of the year of Edmonton being second in the Pacific, I didn't I don't know if I said they were I think I said they're going to be third in the Pacific or they'd be in the wild card. I did think they would make the playoffs. I thought he was going to yep. have a great year this year, nice bounce back year. But he's 76 points and guess who's right behind him? Leon Draisaitl. So to me, I don't think you can say he's the MVP cuz he's not carrying that team. You look a little deeper. I like Nathan McKinnon. Not the guy I'm picking here. David Pasternak right underneath him with points. I'm not picking him. I like your pick with Panarin, but who I really would like here is one of these two guys. I'm going to pick Jonathan Huberdeau right now just mm. because he is carrying that Florida team. And the other person I'd pick before I get into Huberdeau would be Jack Eichel in Buffalo. But I'm not picking them because Buffalo's currently not in a playoff spot. But Jonathan Huberto down there, 47 games played, 18 goals, 46 assists, 64 points, plus 10, which, I mean, before in Florida, that's always questionable. So maybe Coach Q is finally right in the ship here. Three power play goals, 23 power play points, three game-winning goals. Like, he is giving this team what they need. And for me, that is something that needs to be shown and respected a lot more in that South Florida area with the fans. Yet again, that's a whole nother discussion. But for the player that they have in front of him, what he's doing, scoring goals, kicking ass, taking names, currently in a playoff spot, not a wild card spot, a division spot, I just think it has to be recognized. So I'm going with Jonathan Huberto. I love that pick. Um, especially Florida's really turning around lately, like you said, just even still ahead of Toronto. Um, after both of those teams kind of started off slow, is a good indicator there um i'll be posting this uh on our instagram page but the athletic had the uh annual players poll and i know i posted that marshand is voted the dirtiest player in the league even ahead of tom wilson which i don't get um they said the most underrated guy in the league huberdo made that list and also also alexander barks off so uh florida if they were in any other market if they were in Long yeah. Island, Long yeah. Island, they would be noticed. Yeah, even if you put him like in Quebec, can you imagine that. 
That would be wild. You want to talk about going from like no fans to being on a sellout <laughs> and a waiting list. There it is. Yeah. So very talented team in South Florida. I also, I hope they make the playoffs and make some noise um, just because I think that team's earned it. And coach Q has got them humming. So speaking of coach, let's go with our mid-year pick for coach of the year, Jack Adams. I'm going to go first. I was debating Mike Sullivan with Pittsburgh just because of the injuries they dealt with and kind of the lack of depth up front that Rutherford gave solely uh, to start the year, and he's having them nipping on the heels of Washington uh, in the Metro division. So that's surprising to me. I also consider giving votes to Travis Green of Vancouver having that team in first place. I had him being the first coach fired this year. Um, so I had him up there, but I'm going to go with a guy who's coaching a team that everybody left for dead after the summer of free agency. I'm going to go with Torts. Having Columbus, I know they just won five in a row, which has helped their cause, but they are currently in the wild card spot ahead of teams like Toronto, ahead of teams like Philadelphia, and they're doing so with basically no offense, only 127 goals, 134 goals scored, but the second best defensive team in the league this year, ahead of Carolina, ahead of Philly, ahead of Toronto, ahead of Buffalo. I'm giving it to Torts. See, I was going with the first guy you mentioned with uh, Mike Sullivan. With all of those injuries they had this year, I thought this team was dead to rights. I thought they couldn't go anywhere. Like you said, the lack of scoring depth that Jim Rutherford had gave, and everybody just seemed to step up. And one guy who was huge, currently now out for the year, yet again due to injury, Jake Gensel. When Sid and Malkin went out, just took the team on his back. And obviously you uh, players have to step up to make you do it, but... I mean, my God, to think that he had the ship rolling that good when it was that bad and on the rocks and on the waves, to me, was outstanding. And uh, hats off to Mike Sullivan. And obviously, with still current injuries, I don't think that they win a cup. But if this team was healthy the whole year, I I think that's might be where it goes. I also wanted to give a little bit of acknowledgement to Peruby and St. Louis for no Stanley Cup, Stanley Cup hangover. They're doing it without Tarasenko and in a division with teams like Dallas and, and Colorado. So um, that wasn't a fluke last year either. Moving on to our last award pick, the Vezina Trophy. Who do you have as best goalie in a league at the midway point? Henrik Lundqvist, he's my pick. Um, no, uh, I have Darcy Kempfer out in Arizona. I think we all knew that Arizona was going to be better, but for what he gives them, he is he has played a lot too. 25 games this year, 15 wins, 8 losses, uh, 2 overtime losses, uh, 2.17 goals against, 9.29 save percentage and 2 shutouts. He's been playing. If you told me Darcy Kempfer was going to be the one to take him to the promised land, I'd tell you you're out of your mind. But this kid this year completely separated himself from Ranta ever since the injury happened and playing incredible. So Darcy Kempfer is my pick out in the desert. My pick is Ben Bishop in Dallas. I think he's been the best goaltender or one of the best goaltenders in the league since the beginning of last season. Dallas has given up the fewest goals 
uh, in the NHL this year. And I just think as a guy who's been a finalist three times, I thought he had a chance of winning it last year. I just think for con- continued success and the fact that he's the backbone of that team, more than Sagan, more than Jamie Benn, I think he's earned it so far this year. 9-2-7 save percentage, 2-2-8 goals against average, even though I don't usually consider goals against average to be a great indicator anymore. Just, I think, best goalie so far to start the year this year. Uh, but Kempfer was my second uh, pick, and actually I had Markstrom in Vancouver third. So, uh, yeah, Bishop for Vesna. Who are your picks? Most surprising team, most disappointing team. Well, I was going to go off of uh, one other thing right behind what you said of your other Vezina picks. You're probably going to laugh, but uh, throwing this out there, Elvis Mazurkalins in Columbus, eight wins, six losses, and I mean, obviously the six losses we can contribute to what he has around him, four overtime losses, but this is what I see. I see a 2.36 goals against, 9.28 save percentage, and three shutouts. So when the team comes to play around him, uh, he can actually get it done. So... I think that might be one guy to actually look at. I know we were busting his balls with his name and everything else, but w- when the boys around him and Torts has that system working, the, this kid can close the door for you. And Corpusala, before he got hurt, really turned his season around from October and through Thanksgiving uh, and really turned his season around and started playing well. Even the kid last night, um, I'm not even, I don't know why Columbus enjoys bringing in goaltenders that have the worst names to try and pronounce. Um, but he played his first career game last night at the Garden against the Rangers, gave a one goal, played pretty damn well uh, in that for them, undrafted free agent at Alapia. So I think a lot of that has to do with the system, but they are looking really good right now, uh, letting Borosky uh, go for $70 million and going with these three. Now my question to you is, who is your best and worst team so far so i'm gonna go so best and worst or surprising and disappointing you know what i meant all right because i had i would have different answers for those um most surprising team this year and i know this isn't going to be as surprising to you uh vancouver canucks i had them i thought last year was a nice baseline for them i didn't think they were they were ready to make that next jump i thought next year would be the year that they would make a leap forward um i didn't think Quinn Hughes would be as successful as he has been so far in his rookie year i had them as my most surprising team first place i know it's kind of jumbled up in a pacific division right now um but that plus 13 goals uh goal differential is what's standing out to me and also i've tried to make a point of watching a few more Canucks games in the last month and a half, two months, just to see what, if it's just goaltending and Pedersen and guys like that kind of carrying a team. But you can just see the presence he has on a bench and with Travis Green and just the system that he has in place. I think one of the best transition and speed teams in the Western Conference. So I'm going to go with them most surprising in my book. Uh, most disappointing for me, I'm also saying out West, is the national Predators. I don't think they're making the playoffs this year, uh, which is a massive disappointment with the talent they have in their roster. I know they made that coaching change. I thought they blew it 
by going with John Hines. I don't think Hines is a guy who's going to turn a team around like that. That has Stanley Cup aspirations. Um, so I'm going to go with them for most disappointing. I agree with you on most of the disappointing. Nashville is my team as well. One thing I did see was that most of the teams ahead of them currently in the standings have about three games in hand. So Nashville at least has those to, you know, maybe make a little bit of a run with and jump up six points. But we will see what happens there. Going forward, my most surprising team, I know this won't sound as good as we think, but I'm going with Florida. And I say that because there has been so many years where the hype has been there for the Panthers and they have not been able to bring it together with all the talent. So maybe it's finally just having coach Q behind the bench and bringing all these guys together. But the Panthers currently third in the division, uh, 26, 16 and five with plus 18 goal differential. I'm just surprised that they're able to keep it together because they're always that one team at the beginning of the year says, Florida looks good, man. Florida looks good. And then they just start dwindling and dwindling and dwindling. So I hope I just did not put a curse on them. But they're surprising me because they're actually in the mix. So the Florida Panthers. All right. Um, Who? We'll move to weekend review for the Bruins and Rangers. I don't have much to go on this week just because I spent a lot of time last week talking about the goalie situation that hasn't changed much um it's gonna be interesting to see who they have starting in goal tomorrow against the Islanders if it's not Hank then he would have only played in one game since New Year's Day in the next 30 days so that's an issue because he only plays he plays much better when he plays heavily um and then I touched on the whole Range Island, Islander issue that's been going on and rivalry, and they play again tomorrow night, which should be fun. Um, but other than that, not much else going on with the Rangers. So I figured I'd give more time to you to discuss your boys who have been struggling a little bit. Yeah, well, I know we talked about this a little off air before we came on. And I honestly don't know what is going on with this team. And. It frustrates me because I hear all sorts of different things and they legitimately drive me crazy. And I don't mean to say it to sound like funny or to get more views or anything like that. But I hear people go, this team, they're, they're just not tough enough. They need to be tougher. Look at the fucking roster. This is the same roster that went to the Stanley Cup last year, minus two guys. Uh, what toughness we lost Nolachari, who was a fourth line banger for us and would he drop the gloves with us yes constantly no was he a big body and presence out there yes he was and the other one was Marcus Johansson so for anyone who tells me that we need toughness I mean someone has to tug on it in the locker room because clearly it's an internal thing going further I keep hearing the coach, the, the coach needs to go. It's a coaching change. It's a coaching change. I don't believe that. And I've said that from the beginning. I don't. But now I'm starting to think otherwise because this team cannot hold on to leads. They are completely untrustworthy. You, you see certain guys when there's a lead like Charlie McAvoy. This kid is the most up and down kid to watch in the course of a hockey game I've ever seen. He'll come in, he'll have a great breakup, he'll have a great breakout, or he'll jump into a play and look nice. And then you watch some other, later in the game, you're like, oh my God, that is the worst pinch I have ever seen in my life. 
or just who is he covering? Like, I don't know what to think at times. Going a little bit further, I have heard this now for however long that David Krejci needs a right winger. David Krejci needs a right winger. Hey, guess what, Benny? David Krejci needs a right winger. Like, I know this. (laughs) And, like, we have gone through this, and we have traded for people. The Rick Nash thing, yes, no one expected him to retire after that year. These things happen. Within the farm system, we have put people up and down a lineup. They cannot stick there. Yes, trade everything for a top six right winger. And then have what on the other end? Like, And then you see these trades that people propose on these fan groups and these fan boards. And you were like, you could be the stupidest and most asinine person I've ever met in my life. Like, I can't even watch those. What happened to the Bruins yesterday? For the first time this season, we have lost or got rid of or whatever you want to call it, a three-goal lead. We blew a three-goal lead. That is the fourth time this year we've blown a multi-goal lead. The first time it's been with three goals. I don't know. I honestly don't know what it is. I I do feel as this. This team currently... Everyone will say, oh, look at Boston. Look at the way that they're built. That's why they're going to be in the Stanley Cup, this, that, the other thing. If this team continues this play where they keep pissing away multi-goal leads and or losing in overtime or shootouts, this team's not making the playoffs. Put put it down right now. I'm telling you now, they won't make the playoffs. And if they do, it is going to be a very quick exit. So that is the way I feel about this team right now. And, oh, I can already, I can feel it. Oh, yeah. See, they showed you. They made the playoffs. They did this. They did. They turn it on when they want to. Listen, there are a lot of other teams that we're about to play that are in the hunt for the playoffs. And we're sitting cozy at first in the division. Tampa's nipping at our heels. Florida's right behind them. If we get a little lackadaisical here, which I think we already are. Whether it's fatigue, I don't know, but I'm telling you right now, there are teams that are right behind us that will bump us down, and everyone's going to be shocked. We were in first in the division. Cassidy sucks. Marshan can't score. Listen, I hope you guys don't have anything to do in the spring because we're not going to be in the playoffs. Pick another team to root for. I'm telling you now. So is that a guarantee of no playoffs or if this team continues to not fix the areas that are concerning you, that's not going to make the playoffs? If they continue on this road, they're not making the playoffs. And as for what it is they need to fix, currently I I, I could give you a fucking laundry list and say, hey, this is your honey-do list. Do a couple of chores. Maybe it'll look better. I I honestly, uh, I can't even tell you where, who, what, why, there's all these things that are happening. Players are doing shit. It's not working. I just, I don't know. If if it continues to blow multiple goal leads, we're not making it to the playoffs. And if we do make it to the playoffs, we will be the Tampa of last year and be out in four games. I will say, I don't think Cassidy survives if you guys start golfing 
the exact same day as the New York Rangers in the spring. So if you guys, let's say you guys missed the playoffs and it's because, because th- these concern areas aren't solved. Does that lead to a sh- little bit of a shakeup on a roster besides the coaching change? Does it just mean, oh, we just need a different voice in here? Do you guys even have the ability to shake the roster up with the cap? With the cap, not really. We, we'd have to figure out as to whether Zidane's coming back or not, which is still a thing that we don't know. Are we or are we not able to re-sign Tory Krug? My thoughts on Tory Krug are this. If we are able indeed to re-sign him, we will trade away Matt Grizzlick. That is my prediction on that. Um, but we need to re- be able to re-sign Tory first. So whenever that happens, Matt Grizzlick will become available. It, it kills me because I really do like Matt Grizzlick. Um, going forward, I don't know. I, I honestly don't think it's the coach. I don't. But I think, like you said right there, sometimes there needs to be a shakeup. Sometimes coaches take the fall. Look at Peter DeBoer out in San Jose. Gerard Gallant is out there right now. Mm-hmm. I'm just throwing a name out there of someone who I think could come in and take a job over. And I've said it. I love, love Bruce Cassidy. I do. And unfortunately for the lineup that Don Sweeney has put ahead of him with the very strong top first line, you have an aging David Krejci, you have a hot and cold Jake DeBrusque, and then you have the flavor of the week on the right side. It'll make it extremely difficult for anyone to get scoring. I just think that someone will end up taking the fall here, whether it is them or it's not them. And I think that it could be Bruce Cassidy in this situation, even though I don't believe it should be. I will say, if the Bruins miss the playoffs this year, oh man, like that's going to be one hell, one hell, one hell of an episode. Let's just say that at, at the end of the regular season. Um, <laughs> we'll, we'll roll that all in one to a playoff preview and the end of the season. <laughs> okay, I'll, okay, I'll say this: if the if the Bruins miss the playoffs this year, don't even make the playoffs. Not only would that be a, an episode to listen to. I will personally travel to Boston and record live with you and Shetty. Send it. <laughs> besides, besides just doing it as a surprise at some point, other point this year. Um, moving on to our picks of the week. Who do you have for game of, the, game of the week and lock of the week? Sorry, please hold. I have to go back to my other screen. I was a little upset right there. <laughs> do you want me to go? Uh, yes, please, if you don't mind. All right, I'm going to be lame, and my game of the week is going to be the same pick as the one from last week. I'm going to go with tomorrow night, Tuesday, the 20th to 21st, the Islanders at the Rangers, round three of a three games and nine games set between these rivals. The first two were incredibly entertaining and physical, so I'm going to give that as an option, especially with this short week because of the All-Star game. My lock of the week is going to be the next night, Wednesday, the 22nd. I know I took the uh, the easy way out last week by picking against Ottawa with Vegas. I'm going to go with a little more difficult at home, the Columbus Blue Jackets over the Winnipeg Jets. 
I like that. I, I like going out on the limb there. Uh, I also do like your game of the week, the Islanders at the Rangers. It seems like they've played a lot lately. A little bit of nastiness going on there. And then uh, my lock of the week is also that same night. I have the Florida Panthers at the Chicago Blackhawks. I was thinking at that, too. I think that's Coach Q's return to Chicago. Correct. So I'm going, there's going to be a lot of money on the board, and the boys are going to be ready to take it home. Uh, and just out of curiosity, who do you predict will win the All-Star play-in three-on-three extravaganza? Um, I would pick the Metro as a homer, but not only did they shun my boy Henrik, but they also shunned Mika as the last man in vote, so they can go fuck themselves. Um, I'm going to go with the, I want to go with the central just because I don't know. I just, the most stacked division in hockey. So I'm just going to go with them for the easy way out. I'm just going to be a homer and go the Atlantic. I, I could care. <laughs> I could care less. Uh, I just, I wish they had, first of all, the women's three on three tournament should be fun to watch too. Um, so I'm glad they got that going. It'd be cool if they had a the winner of the women play the winner of the men's in the uh, tournament. I I'm with you on the women's three on three. That's actually going to be incredible to watch. Uh, who do you have for shout out? Actually, no, I do have. Last week was a little dull. I do have today in NHL history. All right. Um, for January twentieth, I'll start with in nineteen eighty nine. Mario Lemieux becomes the second player in NHL history to score 50 goals in fewer than 50 games. He joins Wayne Gretzky, who had, at that, that time, had done it three times already. And because it's All-Star Game week, back in 1970, Gordie Howe scores his 10th and final goal in an All-Star Game competition. His power play goal proves to be the game winner in the Eastern Conference's 4-1 win against the Western Conference in St. Louis. Chicago's Bobby Hulse has a goal and an assist and is named the game's most valuable player. Now I'll give you a shout-out. Uh, shout-outs this week. Just going to keep it playing. Uh, Big Red, I hope you enjoyed your weekend away for uh, your birthday. I, I know it's not for a couple more weeks, but that weekend we have a wedding, so just wanted to uh, get the birthday present in, you know, slip that in a little bit earlier so we didn't forget. Uh, we went out all day today with the kids, and they were really good. They were listening it was it was nice it was a nice change up because sometimes as a dad when you go out in public you get a little uh overwhelmed they're not listening you're kind of running around like a chicken with your head cut off but uh it was nice today it was reassuring that uh they can listen <laughs> uh one other shout out will be to showtime patrick kane on hitting a thousand points and one other yep, one let's... is the bruins uh Sending David Backus down to Providence. We will see if he reports. But one thing they did say in all of it was that this was partially because of the human side of hockey and that he is one hit away from severely injuring himself. So I'm at least happy that on a personal level they were thinking of the person and not just the player. So uh, that's yeah, what that, I That was the thing that always worried me about him trying to turn himself into a fighter last year. I was like, oh, I that made me queasy every time he dropped the gloves. Yeah, agreed. And I know there was times last year that was the only way he was getting in the lineup. But, yeah, if he ate it yeah. right the wrong way, that was going to be it. Uh, shout out this week for me, First Lady. Uh, she is just overcoming 
uh, a pretty wicked illness that she had toward, from the end of last week. Um, I'm also going to give a shout out to our mutual friend Charlotte. She was in town about a week, week and a half ago, uh, visiting from San Francisco and California. She stayed a couple of nights, so it was very nice to catch up and hear about everything that's been going on on the West Coast. And a last shout out to my boy Karin. He is a diehard and kind of suffering San Francisco 49ers fan. And he was at the NFC Championship game yesterday in person, got to see his team advance to the Super Bowl. And not only that, he is flying to Miami for the big game itself. So shout out to Karin. Hopefully my team, the Jets, can pull their heads out of their asses at one point before I fucking die and go to the game for me. So is, shout out to all of them. Is Karn going to give uh, Andy Reid a little... Uh... Just like as a <laughs> as a gift, you know, just like a little bacon cheeseburger the night before the game to make sure Andy shows up to a big game with his A performance or what? I think uh, if it was up to Karn, he'd probably put some laxative on Andy Reid's favorite barbecue ribs and then have him <laughs> shitting his brain out the day of the game. So. <laughs> Straight from Kansas City. Here you go, big boy. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that's it for me. All right. Well. Everybody, thank you as always for listening. I would say uh, next week we'll be back with a jam-packed week, except a pretty quiet week in the NHL. Only a couple of days of games in the All-Star game, so we'll be back with a little All-Star recap, and we will give you some predictions and as to what's going to be going forward in the next couple of weeks here. So thank you for listening. We will catch all you guys next week. Bye-bye. I, I, when I was young, I should've known better And I can't feel no remorse And you don't feel nothing bad Since the flood Oh, oh, feel me I Heaven help a fool who falls in love